Mac Power Users, Episode 136, iOS Automation. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie. So I think we're going to get geeky again tonight, which is good. It's something I've been, I've been looking forward to this all day, I must say. Good. Me too. Always. Yeah. And, you know, this is a show that we've gotten so many requests for. We, we did the uh, Alfred show a while back, and we're talking about how you could use Alfred to kind of automate some tasks on your Mac and quick access to things and shortcuts and make the process of using your Mac easier. And we got a lot of people talking to us and saying, well, hey, what about iOS? And, you know, it wasn't all that long ago that I never would have considered doing a show about iOS automation because of this, you know, you think of iOS being as such this restricted platform that you can't do anything with sandboxing there, you know, you, you, you can't have a tool like Alfred or, or you can't do Apple script or you can't do automator. You can't do any things like that. And all the automation tools that we have on the Mac. But when you think about it and we've gotten some emails from listeners about it, we've got more tools now and our Mac developers are really, really smart in figuring out ways that, that they can do things within iOS and whether those are crumbs that Apple has intentionally left for them or whether the developers have just kind of figured out their own path. I'm I'm not quite sure, but I like it. I'm pretty sure it's the former. I don't think that Apple's leaving a whole lot of crumbs for automation on iOS. That's not, I don't think that's in their game plan. Well, and the other thing I guess is we, we figured we probably better get the show recorded before WWDC because everything could change. So we're right as yeah, of right now. I don't think it's going to change that much. Do you? So, you know, the thing about the the iOS, the, the iPhone as it started and now the iPod Touch and the iPad is Apple really wants a lot of control over that platform. You know, they don't want to read stories about rampant viruses and data sharing and all these things. So I think one of the early guiding principles for the design team was to make an operating system that's just rock solid secure and in order to do that, they used, you know, what Katie called the sandboxing, which means yep. that in general, an app doesn't have access to the data from another app. And there are some exceptions for it and there's some things you can do. But but by and large, you can't have an app like Text Expander on iOS, you know, or can you? We're going to get to that in a minute. Well, but the idea of, of Text Expander on the Mac is it's an app that can alter text in any app on your Mac. And pulling that off on iOS was not something easy. And so a lot of the utilities, like, you know, Alfred is the same thing. They just don't, they don't work well because Apple doesn't let you write an app and distribute through the App Store that has access to all the internal calls from different apps. So uh, when this first started, we thought that we would never do a show on iOS automation because there was no such thing as iOS automation. You know, automation means that you've got something that can do other work for you, and that's just not there. But, you know, move a few years down the road, and there are some very clever app developers that have come up with some great ideas. And and we're going to talk about some of our favorites in this show. Yeah, and there may be others. So if you've got others, be be sure you drop us a line and, and let us know. But I, I guess you mentioned Text Expander, so why don't we start there? And I guess full disclosure, Text Expile, who makes Text Expander, is a sponsor of the show. Not this particular episode, but they are a sponsor of Mac Power Users. That's not why we picked them. We picked them because they've figured out how to do really cool things with, with iOS that you probably aren't supposed to be able to do. Well, I mean, they sell it through the the, the 
uh, iOS app yeah, store. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's all above board stuff. It's all, but but I guess it's stuff that you never thought you'd be able to do. Yeah. So, and it's interesting to look at Text Expander, which, uh, if you're familiar with the show, you know Text Expander is an app that can take a small snippet of text and expand it into a great big, you know, portion of text. So, uh, if you put C-C-E-L-L, it'll type your cell phone number. Or if you type H-H-O-M-E, it'll type your entire address for you. And that's great on the Mac. It works on every app without fail. And on iOS, they've got Text Expander Touch, which does a lot of the same thing. And, and I think one of the places we should start with this for automation really is a comparison of Text Expander Touch and text, um, what is it called? Text Shortcuts which is a built-in feature of iOS. I think it's just called shortcuts. Shortcuts. Well, it's under the, um, it's in the settings menu under general keyboard. And then I guess you call them keyboard shortcuts maybe. But, and so after, you know, text expander figured out how to put it on iOS, one of the more recent versions of an iOS update, and I want to say it was five, but I may be wrong. Um, adds, you know, Apple's own version of shortcuts. So you that do have right. a little, yeah, you do have a little bit of automation with text entry and, uh, and we should probably just talk about the differences between those. Well, the Apple shortcuts are a great addition because number one, they work everywhere in iOS, though they don't sync through iCloud yet to multiple devices. So you do have to set them up on every single device. And what you do is you type a string of text and it will expand. Now there's some limitations. You can't put in carriage returns. You can't put any kind of stylized text in. It's really just meant for sh- very, very short snippets of text. And well, I use- well, just can I interrupt there just real quick? You can sync it now. They do sync. Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. You can. But it, it just syncs on iOS devices. It doesn't sync to your Mac. Right. That's what I meant. Which is frankly where I do create most snippets is on my Mac. And, and, but like you said, the big selling point is that it works everywhere. So where Apple is never going to put text expander support in some of their native apps like Safari and mail, these, um, these shortcuts will work. So I, I, I kind of consider it my, um, my mail shortcuts, you know, like email signatures and things like that I might put in there. Um, it doesn't work as well either. An example is, is an OmniFocus, you know, OmniFocus, a lot of times I will capture a new task and it, it's text from somewhere else. So I've already got text in there, you know, like through the mail drop service or something. And I want to put an annotation at the front of it as an OmniFocus task, like add to Mac power users outline. For me, that's a period MPU. And that I'll put add to uh, Mac power users outline dash dash. And then that creates this task for me. Well, the shortcuts from OS 10, I'm sorry, <laughs> the shortcuts from iOS will not work that way because if there's not a, a leading space in front of the cursor, it will never fire the snippet. There's just a bunch of little weird things, you know, and, uh, and text expander changes that. But in order to get text expander running, you've got to have an app that can talk to the text expander library. And that's not universal on iOS. Not every app does it. Yeah, they've actually went out and built a special developer kit, I think, so that if the developers want to integrate text expander snippets in their apps or text expander support in their apps, um, there's a there's an API that they can they can call on. I don't know if I'm yeah. using that technical terminology correct, but text expander gives it away and says, here, developers, if you want to integrate text expander, this is how you do it. No secrets here. 
Yeah, which is really awesome. So when you think about some of the apps we like to use to write on our iPads, uh, text expander support is like a deal breaker for me because I have all these great snippets that I've made over years and years of using text expander on my Mac. It syncs up through Dropbox and down to iOS because the text expander on iOS syncs through this Dropbox sync. So first of all, I got syncing both to my Mac and my other devices. And then I go to an app that will use these things and all the great long, you know, multi-line snippets I can use, leading spaces I can use. They've got some other stuff going on that we can't talk about yet, but it's actively developed. And let's just say that we're going to be getting even more features from the Mac that we love. Um, so, you know, and I don't want this to turn into an ad spot. I guess it's starting to sound like one, but text expander can bring a lot to your automation game in iOS if you haven't really thought about it. Well, and the key to it is thing. Now you can use Text Expander within the Text Expander app because if you, for example, Mail is an application, it's an Apple app that does not support Text Expander. So if you've got a long snippets that you want to expand, and I have some form email responses that I like to expand, then you can open up the Text Expander app and you can type in your long snippets of email and you can copy it and send it to and create a new mail message and all these other kinds of things. But what you can also think about things that you can do is where can these other apps that we're talking about, we'll talk about some of them in this episode, what other apps do you use that you can integrate in with Text Expander and then make this magic happen? So, um, you know, David, when you're talking about your OmniFocus expansion snippets don't work in OmniFocus with the shortcut, well, do they work in OmniFocus with Text Expander support or do they work in another apps like Drafts, which I know we'll be talking about later because it has Text Expander support. So if you can't do what you want to do, in maybe the Apple native app, is there something that you can do in an app that maybe is built in text expander support that you can use to, um, you know, kind of get double bang for your buck? Number one, use this other app that's going to give you additional tools. But number two, then use all your text expander snippets on top of them. Yeah, well, for instance, OmniFocus now does support text expander snippets in iOS. So, you know, at one point before it did, I had to create my OmniFocus shortcuts as shortcut keys in iOS. Now I don't have to do that anymore. It just syncs right over with the snippets I've created for, for the Mac for OmniFocus, and they work just fine. Whether there's a leading character or not, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of places on iOS where I think you know users have figured out how useful Text Expander can be to them when they're working on their Macs, but they don't realize as much with respect to iOS. And I'm not sure why that is, but I know in my own case, I had a little bit of a mental block. For instance, I have all these, uh, these meeting snippets that I use. So when I sit down in a meeting, I type dot M E E T I N G and it, it just fills in a whole snippet for me. And it has a listing for who's present. It puts in the date string for the date. It allows me to put subjects. It's got a little line at the bottom where I can put action items. So walking out of the meeting, I can have a definite list of other people's doing stuff. And I save this all to an NV alt. No, in your case, Katie, I'm guessing you would probably save something like that to day one because you yep. use it in that fashion. Yep. And so all that stuff happens with text expander and it works just great on iOS. I mean, it does on your phone, it does it on your iPad and you're off to the races. So give some thought to the kind of stuff you're doing on your iPad and iPhone or the stuff you think you can't do on it. And then give some thought to text expander because that may be the bridge you need to get some of that work done. Yeah. And, and I, I think we'll be talking about kind of some other places that you can use this type of support and some of these other apps that we're, we're talking about a little later.
Yeah. All right. But, so let's go ahead. But just, you know, the, the whole idea, though, that, that Smile had of coming up with a software developer kit and putting Text Expander into any app where a developer wanted to jump on it, I thought that was really smart. What do you think the odds are that Tim Cook will get on stage at WWDC and say, we're adopting Smile's developer kit into iOS 7? Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> absolutely zero. Okay. The same odds as Tim Cook getting up and announcing that Katie Floyd is going to be taking over as the CEO of Apple. Oh, no, that's happening. Oh, yeah. is it? Yeah. Okay. No, well, if Katie Floyd takes over, then I suspect that they will adopt then, then the we Text will. Expander yes. <laughs> API. <laughs> All right. So um, before we get into too much trouble, let's 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 move on and let's talk about URL schemes because uh, th- this was kind of one of the first ways that people thought of of getting information from one place to another, and it's it's really what can you 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 know we're all in familiar with typing a URL in a web browser, right? You know, if you go to maxsparky.com, where you're really going is HTTP colon backslash backslash www.maxsparky.com. And, you know, most of us are probably familiar with the mail to web scheme. So if I wanted to send message to feedback at macpowerusers.com, if I go to mail to uh, feedback at macpowerusers.com, it will open up my email application and uh, create a new message to um, feedback at macpowerusers.com. So they're, they're, those have been around for a while. And then what developers in iOS started figuring out how to do is that they could register their own custom URL schemes so that when you entered a specific URL scheme, uh, which usually had a prefix to the HTTP, or maybe it was complete, something completely different, that it would, instead of uh, you know launching a web browser or instead of launching a mail app, it would launch a specific application or a specific action within an application. Did I explain that okay? Yeah, I think you did a good job. And to the extent that Apple has left the door open for automation, these URL schemes are the backbone of it. And, you know, like you talked about HTTP and mail too, but on the phone, uh, TEL is for telephone number. SMS gets you text message. So I think Apple needed it for their own internal apps. And then clever developers started jumping on it, and they're registering these URL schemes with their app development. And what this allows you to do is is access another app from within an app. And it, it doesn't access the data in a seamless fashion like you would get on your Mac, but it, it literally closes one app and opens another one. And if it's done... Uh, with some cleverness, it, it will send you back to the source app at the end. One of the best examples of this is Dropbox. If you are using Dropbox, you've probably got the Dropbox app on your phone or your iPad. And occasionally you'll have an app where you want to register your Dropbox credentials in order to get access to your Dropbox data. This is true with a lot of the PDF apps and a lot of the text editor apps. And so you'll say, I want to register with Dropbox. And then suddenly this new app that you're trying to register will disappear and the Dropbox app will open. And it has a nice little button to say, do you want to allow it? So you don't have to go you know, into one password and dig out your Dropbox password. You just push a button and then all of a sudden Dropbox disappears on you and the source app comes back again and you're registered with Dropbox and you have access to your data. That's using a URL scheme to make that happen. 
And that's using a not only a particular URL scheme just to launch Dropbox, but it's also using a URL scheme, uh, scheme to authorize that app with Dropbox and usually to do some other stuff behind the scenes like create a specific folder within Dropbox for that app and, and then close Dropbox and put you. So it, it's not just launching Dropbox. It's do, like As you said, it's doing all that other stuff behind the scene, which is where these URL schemes can get really complicated because it's not just sending you to another app. It's sending you to another app, or it can't be that simple, then doing something and then potentially even sending you back. And it's up to the developers to make this happen. So like there, there's a URL scheme that's Notesy colon. And if you use the Notesy app, that's going to be installed with the app and it's going to give other developers the ability to get into Notesy with that URL scheme you've, you've created. And there's a lot of apps that have done this. Some of the ones that we like the best have done this. And then some of the apps that we like the best have taken advantage of this. Even if they don't have their own URL scheme, it doesn't make sense. They'll still use one to jump back and forth and, um, and give you access to features uh, from other applications. It's, it's really quite clever. And I think it's the basis of the, of two of the bigger apps we're about to talk about. We're going to talk about drafts and we're also going to talk about launch center pro and both of those heavily rely on this URL scheme. Yeah. I remember one of the early uses that I really started to understand the power of these URL schemes was with Goodreader, because I think Goodreader was one of the earliest apps that I had on my iPhone and my iPad. And they really got that you could use their their registered URL, which I think was just putting a G in front of something, yeah, wasn't it? The G trick. Yeah. Um, opening it in Goodreader. And then all of a sudden you were in the Goodreader app and you could do stuff like you could download files into Goodreader or you could download files into Goodreader and then upload them to your Dropbox or FTP or whatever. And that is what we did a whole show on Goodreader, didn't we? Yeah. Long, long time ago. Um, and that, the G trick, I guess, as you call it, is what really gave Goodreader all of its power because it gave you this way to get out of the sandbox, get into Goodreader where you could do all this other stuff with your files. Yeah. Yeah. So. Hey, let's talk about a sponsor. Yeah, and this, this is an appropriate sponsor for this spot and for this episode because I want to talk about 1Password. And 1Password specifically came out with 1Password 4 for iOS earlier this year. And in version 4.1, I mean, these guys are constantly innovating. They really upped their game with URL schemes. So here's a perfect example of how you use URL schemes with 1Password. So you, you already know how 1Password works. It allows you to create strong, secure, unique passwords for all of your various websites. You store those passwords within the 1Password app, either on your iPhone, your iPad, your Mac, or your PC, because they're multi-platform. You use Dropbox or now iCloud for version 4 um, to sync all of those passwords so that they're everywhere that you need it. And then when you launch your web browser, 1Password uh, will autofill those passwords into multiple web browsers, whether it's Safari, whether it's Chrome, whether it's Firefox, whatever web browser you have. Here's the problem is that iOS is sandboxed. So if I'm browsing a website in Safari on iOS, I don't have access to that 1Password plugin where I can just click the little button and automatically log into a website. So what I would have to do, which was fine, was launch 1Password, find my, um, find my login for that particular site, copy it, double tap, go back to Safari, paste my plugin in. And that worked great. But with 1Password 4, they introduced their own web browser. And that was awesome because now you could use the 1Password web browser and automatically log in. And it was a really, really good web browser. But then with 4.1, they introduced these URL schemes. So you're browsing along in Safari. You come across a site where you need to access in 1Password. you got a couple of options. You could do the copy-paste thing. You could copy the URL and open it in the 1Password browser. 
or you could just put the letters OP for one password, which is their URL scheme that they've registered before the HTTP in the address bar. And that will know to automatically send that web page to one password. It will pass that information to through to the one password app. If the one password app is locked, you'll have to enter, you know, enter your credentials to unlock it, depending on how you've got your security settings set. And that web page will automatically be opened in the one password app where you've got access to your passwords and boom, you're good to go. And then some really smart people on the internet figured out, wow, we can go even one step further. And with this little bit of JavaScript, we can create a one password bookmarklet for Safari. Um, and I'll put a link in the show notes with the information and instructions on how to do that. I've got mine saved in my bookmarks bar where any page I'm on, instead of having to go up and hit the little OP, which was not that hard going up to the location bar and typing in OP before the um, HTTP, hit the bookmarks bar, and it will basically tell Safari, take the current web page and open it in one password. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's really smart. And it's, and it's a URL scheme. Exactly. And so what it's doing is it's telling Safari, take this information, the information that's on the current page, pass it through to 1Password, and open it in the 1Password secure browser so that Katie yeah. can then go do whatever she wants with it. Um, and then by using that URL scheme, other developers like TweetBot, which is my favorite Twitter application, can build in 1Password support for their app. So if I'm browsing around in TweetBot and someone sends me a link to something that I like and maybe I want to go buy it, um, I can open, you know, it opens that browser in TweetBot, but, you know, I, I, now I'm in the TweetBot browser and I can click a button and it will send me to 1Password where I can fill in my credit card information and all of that stuff, all brought to you by the magic of URL schemes. The, does part of you wonder if someone is like running around in Cupertino with like pulling their hair out going, they're not supposed to be doing this. This isn't right. <laughs> I think secretly someone in Cupertino left this door open. Well, yeah, I think there's both. I think there's definitely both arguments being made. I mean, they want to keep it safe and secure, but uh, I definitely like the convenience we have that these URL schemes are bringing. Yeah. So you can find more information about 1Password over at OnePassword.com. Again, they're available for the Mac, the iPhone, and all of your other great devices. And thanks to 1Password for continuing to sponsor Mac Power users. Okay. How, so How was that for a segue? Was that not a great... Uh, that was that was a great I, fit. I think if there is like an Emmy for you know reading an ad, I think you should get one because that and, was just fantastic. Fitting it into content, yeah. Now I've just you know called everybody's attention to it. So well, the the rest of the ad reads in the show that I do will be rubbish. I mean, you just made me look really bad. I hope I hope you're okay. happy. It's all right. Something something to strive to. Let's talk about another app that I am I am really excited about, and um, I'm looking for interesting and innovative ways to use it better. And, and maybe you'll give me some ideas. And that's Drafts. Yeah, I was really excited to talk about this app because I've been a big fan of it since it first came out. We talked about this on a recent show, didn't we? I, I don't we, remember who. We talked about it with Merlin. Okay, so yep. of course, of course. <laughs> well, it, so Drafts is an app that when it first came out, I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Why would you ever need it? And now, of course, it's in my um, it's it's not just on my home screen. It's on my launch bar. What do you call the thing at the bottom? Dock. Dock. It's on my there dock. you go. There you go. So so what it is? What is drafts? It's an app that you open it up and it gives you a blinking cursor. It's just a place to write text. You don't have to create a new file. You don't there's there's no interference between 
tapping the icon for the app and having a blank screen and a cursor and a keyboard and ready to go. So it makes it really easy to capture quick bits of text, which is, you know, cool. I mean, but we've always had the ability to write on our iPhones and our iPads. The problem I always felt like was even just using something like Byword, which I love, you'd have to create a new file and you'd have to start, you know, you had to go through that whole startup procedure to get going. Whereas you hit drafts and it's just a blank cursor. So very quickly, you can write anything down. You can write something down that you may want to add to OmniFocus. You can start writing an email. You can start writing a diary entry. So it's a way to quickly offload ideas from your brain into your phone. It's a you know, and I use it mainly on the phone as a quick capture device. It's kind of uh, like your it. beloved field notes, isn't it? You know, what's funny. The field notes have taken a, a much backseat in my life since this kind of taken over because it's just as easy for me to pull out my phone now and write down some quick notes. Uh, and for those who don't know what we're talking about, field notes were literally a little, a little pocket notebook with, with actual paper and things that you used to carry around. Well, I think you still do, but you would carry around with a pen or a pencil. And when something came up that you didn't have time to input into your, your system, you would just jot a note in field notes. And then at the end of the day or whenever you had time, you would go through and process your field notes and put them wherever they needed to go. Yeah. So it'd be a quick note capture device. Well, this has taken over. I, I don't carry field notes with me every day now. And yeah, you know, I hadn't really thought about it since until you brought it up, Katie, but drafts is the reason why. I can put stuff in here very quickly. I also use it a lot with Siri on my phone. And I don't I think I'm a little bit of a weirdo about that. I don't think as many people talk to their phone as I do, but you talk to your phone a lot. Yeah, well I need friends, you know. You you never take my calls. So That's right. I don't I don't have any choice. I gotta I gotta get that number block thing so you don't know it's me. Okay. But so even just like walking to get a sandwich, I've got my headphones plugged in, I'll open up drafts and I'll just start dictating some stuff for some emails I want to write. Maybe I'll dictate a paragraph for the next great you know book I'm going to write. Maybe I'll just put in a couple ideas for tasks I want to do in OmniFocus, or maybe I'll put down some notes for some presents I want to buy for my daughter. It, it doesn't matter. I just open drafts and start going. And there's a little plus sign in drafts, which as soon as I tap that, it gives me another clean piece of paper. It's just so quick. You know, so I, I'm collecting these things in drafts as I go through my day. And that's great. But then you say, well, Dave, what do I do with that stuff? Well, you've got a pile of these notes and they do sync, by the way, if you've got they've got a separate version for both the iPad and the iPhone. You have to buy them separately, but they sync really well. They use the Symperium engine, which is the one from that app. What's it called? Simple Note. Mm-hmm. And even though I don't use Simple Note anymore. I do like the Symperium engine. So it syncs uh, effortlessly between the various devices. In fact, one of the things I do is I, I'll dictate a bunch of stuff in this, maybe while I'm driving into work in the morning. And when I get to the work, I'll open it up on my iPad and look and manage it on the iPad because I like the bigger screen. But wait, there's more. It's more than yeah. just a notepad. Exactly. So, you know, so far I've I've matched the functionality of my my little pocket notebooks. But... But then it gets better because it's got these various actions you can do. And there's a little action or send to button in uh, drafts. And if you tap that, it opens up a whole world of opportunities. And it depends what you've got installed on your iPhone. But this stuff is really awesome. Like you can convert the existing draft note to from markdown to rich text and, and start an email with it. So I can write an email to you in markdown. 
And then I can just hit the action button and hit the markdown colon email button. And it goes to the email app, converts the text to rich text and has an email written for Katie. All I have to do is type in your name and a subject and go. Yeah. But even that's a little more on the, on the, you know, fancy end, I would think. I mean, you can do simpler things than that. You can do quick action buttons. Like if you just want to take the plain text and send it as an email, you can do that. There's an email button where you can click the email button. It will take whatever you've done in drafts and it will send it off in an email. And why might you want to write something in drafts as opposed to writing it directly in the email app if you know that that's going to be the ultimate outcome? Well, drafts has support for, like we talked about, text expander. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the things that I do. And that's one of the things that I use is I, I use drafts kind of as a, um, as a composer, if that's the right word for, if I know that I want to compose maybe a more, a, a longer form email, um, then I'll, I'll definitely do it in drafts, but there's more than just sending it to email. You can take something in drafts, just a quick snippet, and you can add it to OmniFocus as a new task, or you can send something to Fantastical if you you know, type it out in natural language. That's one of the beauties of Fantastical is or if you say, or speak it out. Yeah. If you want to use the dictation, you can say lunch with David at noon at um, Carabas and it will parse that in Fantastical and send it, send it away. And then boom, you've got a new appointment. And um, how is it getting there? URL schemes. That's exactly. And the one all that these... I use all the time is send to day one, because as I've talked about on previous shows, I'm using day one as my professional journal for keeping track of my work activities. So if I'm out and about, um, then I'll make a note of what I did in my time and I attended this hearing and I send it to day one. Or if I need to make more detailed notes and I need to process them later, then I'll send them to OmniFocus. Yeah, and you can customize those actions. So it's not just the ones that ship with it. You can actually create your own. And there's a variety of different ones you can create, like uh, SMS messaging is one. So I've got a couple custom messaging actions. One of them is called nuclear and I have my wife and my two daughters. And occasionally I need to get a text out to the three of them about something important. Maybe I'm going to be late tonight or I'm not going to make it to dinner or whatever. Uh, I can just uh, tap out or, or speak out the text that I want to send and then just tap nuclear. And then it automatically sends that text message to everybody on that list. Then I've got one. You know, in uh, in the show notes, it says clan slash nuclear. I was wondering what that meant. Well, the clan is a different one. Oh, I figured clan was like your clan, like your crew, but okay. No, it is. It is. It's similar, but it's bigger. So clan would be my extended family. You know, I have a family where we're all real close. And so I have sisters and nephews and nieces and all that stuff. And that's kind of my earthquake list. Like if we suddenly have an earthquake, I live in California. Um, I'll send a text out to clan and that goes out to like 20 people says, I'm okay. You know, I'm at work or wherever. And, and they text back, who is this? No, no, because they're all, you know, they all know we text individually all the time. So, but the clan is like a, a big message out to a whole bunch of people in my, my extended family. If I need to get a message out quick, somebody had a baby, maybe I'll use the clan one. I don't use it very often. But once in a while, I want to send a text message out to everybody in the clan. And this allows me to do it. Just type the message, hit clan and send and it's boom, it's gone. I don't have to go through and select each name or find each name on the list. I also have one for the people at work. So, you know, if I've got something going on at work and I need to get a message out to because it's a small office, I just need to get to everyone. I push a button and it happens. 
So how do you set up these, the, uh, let's take a simple one. Let's, and you know, without revealing their addresses or anything, but let's say you just wanted to send a text message to the three people in your immediate family. How would you set something like that up in drafts? Okay, because so, I know that the regular URL same scheme, just the, the default actions that it ships with says, just send it to message. But how would you set up something special to send it to three different people in message? Well, when you go to select an action, and, and right now we're talking about version 3.0 of drafts. And, right. Which is a free uh, update if you've, if you've gotten yeah. it recently. Yeah. And, the, and the guy behind drafts, it's, it's a, one of these apps made by a small developer, Greg Pierce, at, um, was it Agile Tortoise? Right. He also made terminology and phraseology. He's made some really great apps. And he's just, I've never met him in person, but we've email corresponded quite a bit. And I think he's super. But anyway, so when you're in the app, when you hit the action button, there's the little gear, you know, the unit universal symbol for settings on iOS. And if you tap that, then it gives you some different settings. And one of them is custom actions. And one of the custom actions is message actions. And you just tap on that and then hit the plus sign to create a new message action. And then there, that gives you kind of like a, a model template message and you can put in there names and you can add as many names as you want. Actually, the name is the name of the action, like clan or work people or whatever. And then the recipient list is there and you can add as many people as you want to that recipient list. And, and then you can also add to the template for the message body. And there's kind of little codes you can use. Like for instance, if you put uh, square brackets, the word draft, it actually pulls whatever the text is that you've written in the draft, um, text but there's a lot more than you can do that you can also add um, body you can ask add a date stream a time stream um, you can add text expander snippets so they, they've really made it easy to customize this stuff so if i wanted to say every time i sent a message out to the entire clan um, that i want to put a, a date and time string in there i could add that very easily and it would it would do it for me i wouldn't have to type that in and that may not necessarily be a great example for sending a, a message, but it it's certainly something that I use frequently when I'm sending um, something to uh, OmniFocus with a note, or if I'm sending an action to day one because I'm logging it for work, I'm going to want a timestamp on there. Yeah, and you can add those timestamps to, it's not just the message actions, there's also email actions. Uh, a good example is, let's say you're a salesperson and you have someone at the office that you need to send in um a summary of every sales call you make. And you could have a pre-canned email that's to the person that needs to get that. How about expense reports? This is a good one. So yeah. let's say you have to turn in your expenses. So you have an email prepared to that person and then it says the word expense reports and then it puts in a date and time stamp right there. And then you just, all you have to do is type in drafts what the expense was, you know, um, 17 uh, tacos and four quarts of beans. And then you use the action. It goes to the person. It puts expense. It puts a time and expense report and it sends it off. So all you did is type the, the little bit of message of the body. You didn't have to deal with anything else. Because everything, everything else was auto pulled in. Yeah. That's automation on iOS. It's crazy. And it, it just gets better. Okay. So 2.5, when they came out with version 2.5, they added Dropbox actions. And remember how everybody just completely lost their, you know what, when Merlin started talking about um, appending to text files with Quicksilver, right. like five, six years ago, that was the big thing. Like you could type a little something, run a command and it added it to a text file for you. 
And it doesn't even really do that well on the Mac anymore. It's not even that easy to do that on the Mac these days. But now you can do it on your phone very quickly. If you have a text file in Dropbox, they have an append command in Dropbox. So you can set it up. For instance, that going back to that expense report, rather than send an email off every time you have an expense report, you could just append it to a text file if you were saving them up for later. And then version 3.0 came out with Evernote actions. So my favorite. Yeah, somebody like Katie, right? You've got all these notebooks in Evernote. You can predetermine which notebook your text is going to go into and you can you can fill out all the basic Evernote fields, uh, including the name, which is the label of the action, the time, the notebook, the tags. Um, you can prepend or append. So depending on you can decide where it's going to go. You can put the beginning or the ending of your file. Um, and it's got all those tags you can, that I talked about, including time strings, date strings, body strings. All this stuff is done right inside the Drafts app. And if you don't even know where to start, if you go inside the Drafts app um, or if you go to that, they'll send you a link, again, using that custom URL scheme, uh, to the Agile Tortoise website where you can they, – they've got – they've created a, what's called a Drafts Action Dictionary. So if you're not real sure where to start and you want to get some ideas, you can search, you can search or you can see what's popular. You can search by recent and see what some other people have done in the drafts action dictionary. So again, append to a daily journal file that you've got in Dropbox or append to a journal file that you've got in Evernote or send something to DevonThink if you've got that used or, um, you know, just all kinds of send something to PaySpot so that you can take other action on it. PaySpot was another application that we talked about in that Merlin show. So if you if you got kind of the beginnings of an idea, but you're not quite sure where to start, go take a look at that repository of, of sample apps there. And David, I don't know if you did this, but I, when I just click recent actions to, to search there, did you know that someone created a search dot, uh, MacPowerUsers.com action for drafts? I'm adding that right now. I didn't know that. Yeah. All right. So, so you, you know, you think, oh, did we ever talk about this on the show? Uh, and then you can do a search MacPowerUsers.com uh, and see if we did. I'm adding it. I know. The, How many times do people ask us that? Another one that's very common is is uh, getting tasks in OmniFocus. They've got um, OmniFocus, of course, because it's the Omni Group, has really jumped on the URL scheme bandwagon, and they've got a whole bunch of URL schemes to get stuff into OmniFocus. But you've also got this idea in OmniFocus where you can just uh, look at the inbox of your reminders list, and it, it'll slurp in that stuff if you set it up, which I did a video on. It's a whole other discussion. But uh, in the most recent version of drafts, it allows you to take a list of items in one draft file and turn it into a series of reminders tasks. So every new line is a new reminder. So, so I, I create a line that says eggs, milk, chicken, asparagus. Yeah. So there's a carriage return between each one. Okay. And then you run this action. It will add all of those to a reminder list. Which I so happen to have one set up that's called shopping. Yeah. But if you've got one tied to your OmniFocus, like I have one in my reminders called Inbox, which is tied to OmniFocus, you could add five items to OmniFocus with one note, too. And this is Think not adding that. it directly to OmniFocus. It's kind of using this back end of adding it to reminders and then using the OmniFocus um, sync setup to add whatever's in that reminder list then gets processed in OmniFocus. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's just crazy. I, I've been playing with this app for a year and 
it's the like I said when it came out, I thought it was a dumb idea, and now I just love it to death. I use it for all sorts of things, and I bet you will too. The version three I really like. In fact, I think that's what really finally gave me the kick in the pants to do this show. Was I'm like, okay, we got to talk about this in more detail. Uh, another thing I like about version three is now they have a way to organize your actions better because, you know. If you use this thing, suddenly you've got so many that it takes a while to find the one you want. So now you can break them up into four different tabs. Um, I, don't, I just love everything about this app. Yeah. It, how much is it? I think it's like three dollars. It's or something. not expensive. Yeah, it's less yeah. than five. Yeah, and I bought both versions. I bought the one for the iPad and the one for the uh, the phone. Um, and, and I guess the other thing that you mentioned at the beginning, but I, I think if you weren't paying attention, you could have kind of glossed over it, is that. You can set it up so that every time you hit this little plus button, it it creates a new, a, a, you know, new piece of paper, for lack of a better word, a new draft screen. But all of those drafts that you've created are saved in the drafts archive. It's like just flipping over that page in your in your uh, in your notebook. Yeah. And so then you can you can set up in the preferences. Once you've gone through and you've processed those items, whether you've sent them to OmniFocus, whether you've sent them to Dropbox or sent them to an email or done whatever it is you're going to do with them by using the share action and getting them out of drafts, because you're probably not going to keep them in drafts forever. At least I don't. What do you want to do with them? And in my case, I've set the default to archive, but you can change the case to delete or or whatever so that, you know, you can, you know, your drafts just basically become another inbox that you process. Yeah, I delete. Mine just delete. Once I send it off, whether it goes to OmniFocus or day one or an email message or whatever, it's just gone. Okay. I, when I did this, somebody wrote – because I did a post at Max Parkey about billing, about lawyer billing and how I do it as a byword file. And someone said, well, why don't you just do it as a drafts file? And that way you could auto-prepare the email where you send it off to the staff at the end of the day. And I do that instead with an automator script on the Mac. And, and the big hang up there for me is the one thing drafts doesn't do is it's not on Mac. I bet Hopefully you there's some, a way to do that. I don't know. It, it's okay doing that on Byword for me. But even then, if I need to capture a quick bit of text, I can do it there, a billing text, because there's an action in drafts to send to Byword. Yeah, and you append that all to the same Byword document? Yeah. or Actually, I mainly do billings right in in Byword. Okay. All right. But I, I think you could. I, I've never tried it, so I don't know. But uh, it, it's really a great application. And uh, I, I just love it when someone comes up with an idea that we didn't realize we need and it helps us so much. I, I wonder what's the next drafts sometimes. I, I think we need a Max Sparky screencast on drafts. At some point... At some point, <laughs> it just ahead, keeps getting better. Go ahead and Maybe add that to your list. Yeah, it, it really is. If you start playing with the ideas of these custom actions and think about the things you do repeatedly, it makes a lot of sense to spend a couple minutes setting these up. Yeah, yeah. Even just the little text message groups I have, I I don't use them all the time, but when I need it, it's so much faster. All right. So. So, uh, so the workflow for drafts is sit down if you've got stuff on your mind and start talking or typing and just keep hitting the plus symbol then you, until you don't have anything else on your mind. And then you can process it all very quickly from inside the app. And then you're going to be really happy and send us an email. I want you to know, inspired by your daughter, I've been trying uh, typing without looking at the iPhone keyboard. I'm getting better at it. I think it's a black art. I don't think that it's right. 
I, I don't I'm, think you I'm, should be I'm, able to do it. I'm getting better. So I'm working on that. By the next time I see you, I'll have it down. Yeah. She actually is interested in drafts. She's not interested in many apps. She's the, you know, I don't understand. She's the anti-Max Sparky daughter. You know, one of them is really nerdy and the other one's not so much. But she's interested in this idea of drafts because she can send text messages to a bunch of friends very quickly. That makes sense. Yeah. Hey, let's talk about the Omni Group, our second sponsor. Um, the Omni Group makes some really amazing apps. We've already talked to them, uh, talked about them a little bit on this episode. Um, they're, they're a big part of my life. Omni Outliner is an app that I'm looking at right now as we record the show, as I have been doing 136 times since we first started making this show. Um, OmniGraffle is an app that does graphics and allows you to make amazing diagrams. And I used that about two hours ago before I drove home to explain to somebody how a corporation works. But the app that just keeps on giving to me is OmniFocus. And I know we've talked about it in prior spots, but I want to talk about it one more time because there's a couple things they've done recently with OmniFocus that really need your attention. Um, the first one is this new service that they have called the OmniFocus Mail Drop. And Katie, have you been using that? I use it all the time. Yeah. Okay. When so I, especially it, when I'm out and about. So what it does is I sync my OmniFocus tasks through the OmniSync service. Omni has their own sync service. They're not using iCloud. They're controlling it themselves. And they sync your, your database for you. So if you've got OmniFocus on your Mac and your iPhone and your iPad, it just syncs over. And by the way, the sync is amazing. It's so amazing that I don't even think about it anymore. It just happens. Um, but since they're controlling that data, they also have the ability to alter it if you want. And using the OmniFocus mail drop is one way that I can do that. So when I get email on my iPad or my iPhone and I want to deal with it later and I want to put it off to another day, I can just forward it to my Omni, my secret OmniSync mail address. And what that does is it allows Omni to say, oh, this is Dave's secret address. He just sent us this email. Let's create a task for Dave in his library, in his OmniFocus library, based on this email. And they'll copy the subject line into the task, and then they'll copy the entire contents of the email into the note attached to that task. So when I get, you know, a bunch of emails and I'm trying to, like, get through them at the end of the day, I'll answer as many as I can. And then the others I may send off to OmniFocus, and then I can assign them dates maybe this weekend or maybe two weeks, and then I'll get back to them. And all the information I'll need is right there, and I don't have to do a bunch of exotic copying and pasting. All I have to do is hit the forward button and just type OM. And that's all it takes for iOS to realize that I'm trying to get it to my OmniSync server. I guess it depends on how many people you know with letters OM in their name. But for me, OM is all it takes. I love this. I use it all the time. And it really has changed my game for my ability to manage my email on my iOS device. And it's a pretty new service. I did a little post on it, Max Sparky. I'm going to put it in the show notes. Uh, it's wide open now, though. So if you're using OmniFocus, you need to go set yourself up on this right now. And you are just going to love what you can do with it. Because it's an email address, there's a lot more you can do with it, too. For instance, you could set up a Hazel rule that when an email comes in from a certain person, uh, that you always want to create a task on, just forward it to your OmniSync database and you're going to automatically be creating your OmniFocus tasks. Uh, you could attach it to if this, then that. You know, we're talking about automation today. You could do some really crazy automation stuff now that you've got the ability to add stuff to your OmniFocus database with just a forwarded email. So 
the reason I'm talking about this is it just gives you an idea how much these guys are taking serious their task of making the best task management program in the world because they have spent that much time making this little feature. Just think about how much time they spent on the big features. And there's a whole bunch of great stuff coming out. You know, OmniFocus 2 is now there's a lot of good information on the web, but even just the current version can really change your game if you haven't started using it yet. Uh, almost every time we do one of these ad spots, I get an email from someone who says, okay, you finally got through to me. I tried it. I watched those videos you made and I just love it. I can't believe I didn't wait this long. It's okay. Don't feel bad if you haven't done it yet, but today's your turn. Go get yourself a copy of OmniFocus and get better at everything you do. So just out of curiosity, have you used the OmniFocus mail drop um, as a re complete replacement for the send to OmniFocus, do you still use the send to OmniFocus link or well, a bounce address? A, and what you're talking about is there's a there's a little macro in Apple Mail that allows you to hit a keyboard command and add a mail message to OmniFocus. I use that too when I'm no, on no. my Mac. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. That wasn't what I was talking about, but go ahead. Okay. Well, that, I don't use that as much because I do use this, the, uh, the, the mail drop quite a bit. But what, I'm sorry, what, what was your question then? Well, the question was, the, is before they had the OmniFocus mail drop, they had an email address that you could forward something to, a generic send to OmniFocus address, that it would then bounce it back to you with a link to create something in OmniFocus. No, I, and I just, that was that extra step made it to me not worth it. Right. It's like send hyphen to hyphen OmniFocus at OmniGroup.com. Yeah. So then I'd get a, an email, an email back and I'd have to push a button. And it just, it felt really... Um, tedious to me. It was easier just to use that, that keyboard shortcut when I got back to the Mac. Right. But that way I never really had the captured the email into OmniFocus until I did get to a Mac. This frees me from that. I mean, it's becoming increasingly easy not to need a Mac to manage email because of services like this. That's another automation, really, on iOS, well, is using I, that yeah. mail drop service. Uh, and I'm just thinking of all the other things that you could do with a home server and a Mac Mini running in the background, where if you flag a message, it automatically forwards it to send to OmniFocus. Yeah. Well, that's like it's a mail rule. Right. You just set up a mail rule that if it's flagged, it automatically gets forwarded to OmniFocus, and then you've set up a mailbox where all these flagged messages go, and you process them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you get an email from... Let's say you have every month you have to submit your phone bill to your work because right. they reimburse you for it. Right. You you could have every time I get an email from AT&T AT billing, forward it to my Omni mail drop email address. And then I'll get a task created that will allow me to remind me to go submit my bill. There you go. And it, but you know, there's some, you, you can go crazy with this stuff, but it's really uh, it's really great. And. That's another iOS automation. I, I just kind of backed into that. I don't even realize I, I didn't intend that when I started talking about OmniFocus. But, yeah, uh, you're trying to game my uh, my sponsor reads. There's no way. I mean, you just you you crushed it. That's yeah. what the kids are saying today. You crushed yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. And I went a little long too. But that's okay because we got a little extra tip in there. Okay. All, all right. right. I'll take that. All right. Well, um, let's talk also about Launch Center Pro. And I've got to admit that when this originally came out, I bought it. It was on sale. It was in the and everybody was talking about it. And then I deleted it. I didn't really get it. And I went back and Don McAllister did a screencast on it and everybody was still talking about it. And you have it in your dock. Do you still have it in your dock, Launch Center Pro? Yeah, yeah. I do. And yeah, so it's been a, a while ago I went back and I was like, all right, I've just I've got to start 
figuring out why everybody is talking so much about Launch Center Pro. And what Launch Center Pro does is it's kind of like Alfred for your iPhone or Launch Bar for your iPhone. And that That's it'll, a good analogy. Yeah. And that it gives you quick access to either applications or actions within those applications that you can quick access on your phone. And I've got a couple of blank spaces, David. I've got two blank spaces here that I'm hoping you'll have some good ideas for me to fill. But for example, so you, you launch Launch Center and you've got all these tiles on the iPhone 5. I've got one, two, three, one, two, three, four. Um, I, I've got 15 tiles, I guess. Uh, yeah. And so you can put things on those tiles and it can be something as simple as launch this particular app. And again, it all, all the magic happens with the URL scheme. So you click it and it will launch that particular app. If it's an app that you just want quick access to, and maybe it's buried in a folder on page 12 of your iPhone screen, or it can do using URL scheme specific actions within the app. So one that I have is again, a new OmniFocus task. So you click the new OmniFocus task. Not only does it launch OmniFocus, but it brings you directly to a new inbox item. So otherwise I have to click OmniFocus and I'd have to click um, the inbox or I'd have to click the little quick entry box and it just saves me tabs. Another thing that I have set up on my quick entry board is new event in Fantastical. Now that one doesn't even need to open Fantastical. It just opens up a window within Launch Center that I can type my language, lunch with David at noon at, what do we say, Carabas. Uh, Friday and type it and it will parse it and automatically take me and create the appointment in Fantastical. So instead of just launching apps and taking you places, it will take you places within those apps. So it will, it will, it will, it, it actions, you, you can either launch apps or you can perform actions with single clips. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's, it's a URL action at work. I mean, the whole idea of Launch Center Pro in a lot of ways is is finding every app with a URL action in it and putting a nice user interface on so you can fire it off with your finger. Exactly, exactly. That sounded a little weird. I don't know. <laughs> like um, I've got one on my home Launch Center Pro screen that's just tweet last photo. You know, because we'll go to Disneyland and something funny will happen and I'll take a funny picture and I want to share it with the entire world. So I'll just push that button, creates a tweet, attaches the last photo, done. All right. Well, let's talk about how would you go about creating that service, that action? Oh, I thought you were going to ask me that. Okay. Ah, so yeah, how did yeah. I do that now? So if you if you open Launch Center Pro, there's a gear icon in the top left corner. And um, that's the settings. I guess that's not what I want. I, I've, I did this all when I first. Oh, it's the pencil in the top right corner. Right. And then it, it turns the whole thing into like a, a, a blueprint. It's kind of fun. And then there's little plus signs where you've got no action and you can add new ones and you can add a specific action or a group. If you add a group, it, it's like a shortcut to a whole nother set of actions. So I've got like one grouping called contacts. And if I tap on that grouping on my home screen in Launch Center Pro, the whole screen switches to a list of the most frequently called people that I call. And I can just slide my finger to my wife or someone at my work or my sister or whoever, and it will call them for me. Uh, for instance, I set all those up. I've never used them. Because I usually just use Siri. Hmm. See, I've got I've got a group. I've got two. Well, I've got my little apps button in the middle, which allows me quick access to launch apps. And then on either side of the middle, I've got a call action. And I, around the call action, I've got one, two, three, four, five, five little phones where I can call members, you know, basically my five most called people. And on the opposite side, I have a text action 
where I can create a new text message to uh, text those same five people. Clever. Am I on that list? You are on that list. You are on both lists. You are on both the call and the text list. I would never know. I'll take a screenshot and show it to you. And then uh, I've got one for bookmarks. So there's a couple websites I go to frequently, and uh, I can just jump to those if I want. Um, There are specific um, actions you can do to your phone, like toggling the brightness up and down. You can do with a single button, turning the flashlight off and on. You can do. I've got one grouping called audio because I have all these different things I listen to. You know, I, I've got the the app for music, you know, the, the iTunes music app. I've got my pod feeder. I've got audible and I've got a couple like band specific apps. Uh, so I've got all of those on one button because I didn't want to keep them on my home screen. That makes sense. Uh, but I never, never did answer your question. So to create the tweet last photo, you'd hit the little pencil that opens up the blueprint. Then you hit the plus sign on some empty spot you have and then tap action because you want to create an action. And then it gives you a whole list of different things you can do. And I click on installed apps so I can look at the apps that I have installed and I'll go down to the Twitter app. And this one I believe requires the official Twitter app, even though I, I do most of my work in Tweetbot. It's the Twitter app that has this action. And sometimes it's good to have the official apps installed so that you can get access to these actions. Yeah. So if you hit tweet, maybe it's not, maybe it is Tweetbot. No, it is Tweetbot. Yeah. Tweetbot has way more URL actions than the official Twitter app. You can view a user profile. You can view retweets. You can view favorites. You can unfollow a user. It's crazy. All the stuff you can do with, um, with this new tweet. Yeah. So I did it there and then it's got a nice little action for me. Cool. Uh, new email, new, new messages. Although I, I do a lot of the stuff through drafts. I, I don't use this as much as I use drafts. See, I would say I actually use this more than I use drafts. I'm, I'm the opposite. And I will do this for a couple of reasons. I'm, you know, that, that home screen and that home screen space is precious. So I'm trying to free up space on the home screen by taking some of those apps, particularly I've, you know, I've got a screen that is just applications that are otherwise buried on other pages of my home screen that I regularly launch, um, that I will launch, whether it's, um, you know, one of those is like my deliveries apps. One of those is Google Authenticator, which I use for two-step authentication. One of those is my bank's app, which I use to deposit checks. Um, you know, those are all things that are, one of those is my scanner app, which I, Scanner Pro is what I use on this. Those are all things that are just launching those apps. They're not doing any particular applications or any, any particular actions within those apps. But those are all apps that are otherwise buried on other areas of my of my phone and I, I don't want to dig four levels deep to go get them. Is it on your, is it on your dock? It is, it is on my dock. You know, it, it, um, it was the app that kicked phone off my dock. Um, Safari has been kicked off my dock for a while. All right, so what's on your dock? Just... What is on my dock currently? Um, launch center pro mail, OmniFocus, and podcasts. All right. So I got, I got the phone app. I, I'm not sure I could get rid of the phone app because who do it you talk a, to? You don't talk to me. It's a phone. That's because you don't take my calls. Okay. And then OmniFocus, Launch Center Pro, and Drafts. That's it. That's my big four. At this point, it's muscle memory. I'm not sure I could move them. It's got to rewire your brain. Neuroplasticity. There you go. Just practice. I have to say it again. I want to say that on every episode. Hmm. 
Okay. Uh, so I've got apps, I've got contacts. I like you, I've got a, a few things here that I use quite often. It's definitely worth checking out. And here's the, the thing that really made it click for me. You don't have to fill up every box. Okay. Cause yeah. you've got 15 boxes on a screen. You don't have, and, and once you get a second level deep into launch center pro, you trigger an action by scrolling over it and lifting up, not by tapping it. So you don't have to fill every box. You know, if you have a contacts category, you don't need to have 15 contacts in that space. Yep. It's good stuff though. Okay. It's like, uh, it is, it doesn't give you the same functionality that Alfred or launch bar does on the Mac, but it's as close as you're going to get with uh, the limitations that currently exist. Yeah. All right. Well, that, that's how I use it. I also use it to, you know, quick compose new email messages and put quick entries in day one. And I even have a, a quick entry into drafts in mine. See that? I don't understand that. You know, to me, I would just open drafts. So, so you use that's, launch that one. That Pro. one's true. Yeah. I've, I tell you, I probably don't use that one that much. I've got it on there. It's, it's over well, in a corner. I guess if you didn't have drafts in your home screen, it might make sense. Uh, one of the things I like about Launch Center Pro, the more recent versions, when it first came out, there was a slight delay when it launched, you know, and it was just a second or two, but it, it was enough for me to feel like I'm not sure this is any faster because I've got to sit here and wait for an app to launch so I could use it to launch another app. But the the more recent versions are really fast. So, so where you st want to write a text message, you will go to Launch Center Pro and then like you've probably got a, a cheat sheet to get you to a text message to me or anybody else that's just essential to your life. Well, on the, on the main home screen of Launch Center Pro, I have a new, the new message button so I can type a new message to anybody and I can just compose the new message to whoever. But then I have a cheat screen, which is, you know, centrally located that says text. And when I click on text, it brings up my, you know, quick text screen and it's got members of my immediate family, you and my assistant. Yeah. And for me, it kind of depends. Like if I'm going to write to one of my groups, I'll start the text message in drafts. I may just go to the messages app if it's just one person. Right. That doesn't mean I'm going to open up Launch Center every single time. I mean, if yeah. someone's messaged me and I'm messaging them back, you know, I may yeah. just click on it. Yeah. Well, the whole idea of this stuff is just to remove some of the friction along the way and get, get the work done and get home and have fun. Launch Center Pro is another way to do it. I love those URL schemes. <laughs> if they didn't have them, none of this stuff would be possible. That's that's what makes the magic happen. Yeah. So. All right. Well, I want to talk about some some Siri hacks because I think we're both using Siri a lot. But maybe before we do, let's let's talk about our next sponsor for this episode, and that is Clarify. And we've gotten a lot of feedback about Clarify since we mentioned them on the past show. But you know, they also were a part of that Mac Heist bundle, and I think a lot of people are getting Clarify and. Um, you know, either because they've heard about it on the Mac Heist Bundle or preferably because they've heard about it on Mac Power Users and are wondering what they can do with it. Well, um, 
clarify is the document that you want, if you ever need to communicate um, messages and instructions and information to people. So, you know, you've, you've always had that thing where you want to send somebody a screenshot and you annotate it and you say, you know, click this, but not this. But, and that's fine if it's a little one-off thing or two, but if you really need to show somebody step-by-step, step, this is how you do something with multiple screenshots or images, and maybe you need to um, put some text in there to walk them through a certain, um, you know, certain steps of process, then clarify is the tool that you want to use because otherwise the tools that you use to create this like word or anything else is going to be pain because then you've got to use a word processor and organize all those image files and titles and descriptions. And in order to make it look pretty, make sure that the formatting is just right. But clarify simplifies all that by combining screen captures and word processor functionality, along with the ability to annotate all these screen captures into one. So you can work with multiple image, you can take lots of screenshots, you can annotate them. You can blur out sensitive parts that you don't want people to see. You can add titles. You can add descriptions. You can add little bullet uh, uh, tags so that you've got one, two, three, four, and you can step out. This is step one, click here, step two, click here, step three, click here, and so forth, so that your communications is clear and concise. I've been using this um, quite a bit recently at work. We just upgraded to, uh, Clarify is also available on the PC, uh, thankfully, but we just upgraded to Microsoft Office 2010 at work after years and years and years of using Microsoft Office 2003. And, you know, it's just little things like this is how I turn on my auto office, out of office auto response. This is um, how I create my email signature and all of those little things that everybody was accustomed to doing in, in uh, Word. 2003, they don't know how to do anymore in, in the 2010 version. So we've been using Clarify It um, as an, a product in our office to kind of create this documentation. And, and by creating all of these things, we're actually creating a portfolio or a booklet of documentation um, that we can give to future employees instead of having to train them on all this stuff. You know, we've got kind of a complicated phone system. So I've got somebody working on a Clarify tutorial for that. You can just hand them this and say, here, here's the tutorial on on how your phone system works. Um, so one of the other great things about Clarify is that once you spend all of this work putting all of this stuff together, um, then you want to share it. So you can either share it to PDF, uh, you can share it to Evernote, you can share it to Dropbox, and then they have this great clarify-it.com uh, service uh, that's free, and you can share it up to the web and share it to them, and they'll host it for you. And you can either just direct somebody to your Clarify-It website, um, or you can take the HTML off that website, which is what I've done. You've probably seen a couple of those posts go on my website. Copy that HTML and drop it into your website. So you may see a couple of posts on, on my site where I've talked about uh, how to do something, and those documents were all created in Clarify, and I just copied the HTML, dropped it into a box on my Squarespace site, and boom, it was done. So yeah, no, When I used to you know, write books for the man and do the you know, the old traditional publishing route, it was so much work to, to get these kind of screenshots prepared. And this application makes it so easy. Yeah. So yeah, drop it in. Clarify is available for the Mac, for the windows, and you can also get a cross platform license on their website, or it's also available in the Mac app store. So go check it out. And if you decide to buy it, drop them a note and uh, let them know that you heard about it on Mac power users. And so we want to thank Clarify for their support of Mac power users. You can find it at clarify it.com. When we upgraded Microsoft office at my office, we had the same thing. All the email signatures went away and they wanted me to show them how, to make signatures in a new version. And I explained to them very nicely that it no longer supports email signatures. And okay. I just don't have them anymore. That way I don't have to deal with it. 
that's don't, don't you hate how do lawyers, you want me to send you my tutorial don't you hate how no i don't okay. I, please do not do, why don't lawyers, you just tell them that it only supports plain text email signatures lawyers have the worst email signatures i, I get a, a, an email from a lawyer and it's like one or two words and a signature is like 400 words it's completely nuts and then they put their email address in the in the email signature i love that I think that was a little bit of a rant. I better stop. Okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, so Siri hacks. Siri is another source of automation, uh, whether you realize it or not. Um, and that's because clever developers have got in there and found ways to tie into Siri, even though it's not supposed to be useful to other apps. Wouldn't that be nice if iOS 7 comes out and uh, they open up Siri a little bit so some of our favorite software developers can do this without being hacky? I hope so. I mean, I'd love to register certain apps with Siri and say, this is the app that I use to do this. Don't use any other apps for this. I find that Siri is really useful to me. And I talk to some people who say that they never use it. And I, I think part of that is because at the beginning, everybody was trying to figure out, you know, where to hide a body and all the funny things Siri does. And now and we found out that all that information is stored somewhere. Uh, I don't know. What are you talking about? Oh, yes. Siri's kept all that information where you've asked her about hiding bodies and things. Oh, man, I'm so screwed. Yeah. But uh, either way, I think the servers were getting hammered at the beginning. And and as a result, it wasn't as useful to people. So they gave up on it. But now it's it works great. I use it all the time. So I, hear I think part of the problem is is that a lot of people also, you know, you have to talk to Siri in a certain way. I mean, you... You really, this is, this is dictation and you have to, you know, maybe not necessarily physically, but, um, you know, at least in some way, yeah, sit up straight and enunciate and tell her what you want. Yeah. The Walter Cronkite voice. There you go. I said that to my kids and they said, who's Walter Cronkite? I'm just, I felt so old. Mm. But so... You're right, though. If you're going to push the button to talk to Siri, have it in mind what you're going to use. And sadly, you do have to learn how Siri talks because she only understands certain, you know, syntax. It's not a little person in there. As much as Apple tries to convince you that it is when it says funny things back to you, it's just a computer program. And it will only understand data if it's fed to it in a certain way. And one of the best Siri tips I can give you is hold down the button for Siri. I'm going to do it right now. And then... If you go and see the little eye next to the um, next to the entry, there's a little information button. If you tap that, it gives you a list of all the different types of data you can feed to Siri. Like if you want to play music, it gives you sample words you can say. It says, play Nora Jones, um, play Walk by Foo Fighters, play some blues. So it'll go through and give you sample statements you can make. And then that, that makes it a lot easier to get started with it. I'm not really sure this is serious. This is automation yet, though, is it? No, we're, we're getting there. You're laying the groundwork. Yeah. So you can go through that. Like if you want to create calendar entries with Siri and you're running into trouble, hit the little information button and then look at the calendar icon in this sample entries. And then very quickly, you'll figure out how to talk to Siri. Because you'll you'll get frustrated that the syntax is not all the same because remind me to call my mom is not the same thing as remember to call mom. Remind yeah. me to call my mom is going to prompt you for, okay, when would you like to be reminded? 
remember to call mom is just going to add something to your reminders list. Yes. And, uh, and there's a little bit of little tricks like that for the whole thing. Reminders is, is one of the things that I use all the time to hack with uh, Siri and making things quicker. I was driving home today and I heard a podcast talking about a book that I was interested in. So I would say add among others to my inbox list. And what that does is it adds the book among others to my inbox list, which also happens to be the name of the reminders list that is attached to OmniFocus. So as soon as I did that, Siri captured it, it put it in the inbox list. And the next time I open OmniFocus on my iPhone, it will run and say, hey, has he got anything in his inbox list? Look, there's a book called Among Others. It'll pull that into my inbox on OmniFocus and kill it in my reminders. And then I'll have it all ready to go. Now, let me ask you this. Let's, let's go off on a little tangent, but I think it might be useful. For someone like you who is such a prolific user of OmniFocus, why would you not set up your OmniFocus list to be your default reminders list? Because I have a whole bunch of different reminders lists. I have one that has my Target list, one that has my Apple Store list, one that has my you know grocery list. Right, so and, 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 I, I do, and I do too. But there is a default list that's just called Reminders. No, I, I find because the syntax to my inbox list works 100% of the time for me. Okay. When I say add to my reminders list, sometimes it gets hung up on that. See, I find if you if you add your – if you associate your OmniFocus inbox with your reminders list, you don't have to say that. If you just tell Siri, um, remember – I don't know the name of your book, but remember whatever it is you want to add to that OmniFocus inbox – she won't ask you which list you want to add it to. If you just say, remember X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z will end up on your reminders list. And well, my experience was when I did that, it would go to the last used list. So if I, last thing I did said, you know, add tissue to my target list, then I'd later say, add something to my reminders. It would just go and put it on my target list. It wasn't always consistent. Hmm. Maybe it's got better. You it know, might I, have. I, I haven't had that experience. So I maybe. switched it over to inbox probably a year ago okay. and that works for me. And I've, it's just internalized at this point. So I just, yeah, then keep it. Yeah. But, but I have a shopping list and you know, shopping is what I consider my general grocery shopping list, but I'll say things like add Altoids to my shopping list. And then I'll never have the problem where it will add whatever's next to my reminders list. Yeah. Okay. It's useful for that stuff. Um, uh, then there's there's shortcuts to fire up apps like timers is a good example. If you're making tea, you know, set a timer for three minutes. As long as it takes me to say that, I could not open, you know, f find the the clock app, go to the timers, scroll to three minutes, and press start. There's no way I could do that as quickly as I could just say set a timer for three minutes. That's kind of like the prototypical example of where Siri works better than the, you know, the old fashioned way of going to an app and tapping buttons. Right. And, and alarms is another, you know, similar example to that. That's actually one of the things for the longest time I would have my clock app on my home screen because I would set timers and alarms so frequently. And now it's, it's buried in a folder on screen two or three. Couldn't even tell uh -huh. you where it is. Uh, sending a text message, you know, one of the reasons why I had to struggle earlier in the show when I was trying to figure out how I generally send a text message is I usually do it with Siri. Uh, I was running a little late tonight as I was coming home to record the show. So I hit Siri and I say, tell Katie Floyd, I'll be about 10 minutes late. And it creates a message to Katie Floyd and sends it off to her that says, I'll be about 10 minutes late. It 
does it almost without fail. I could also just say, tell Katie, because you're the only Katie that I regularly call or text message and it. It's smart enough to figure that out. Okay. Um, but there, there's a whole bunch of them here. And I think what you should do if you haven't picked up on Siri yet is go to that list I talked about. So you, you hold the button, the home button until Siri shows up. There's a little, um, what is it? The, the prompt, I think it says, what can I say? What is it? it says, what can I help you with? But on the right side of that is a little eye, like an information button. Tap that. You'll get a list of all the various commands that you can use and that will get you started. Right. And if you're having trouble with Siri understanding you, you know, again, use the Walter Cronkite method. Really think about what you're going to say and, and don't be casual and don't be sloppy about it. Like you're you know, talking to your best friend who's sitting across from you. Actually enunciate what you're going to say and, and have a clear conversation with Siri. And when Siri does mess up, you can correct her. You can click on something that she's messed up and you can edit it and she'll say how I'm talking to her like she's a she um, and she'll learn from that. The other thing you can do that can help um, is I have someone that I regularly communicate with whose last name is Fiber, but they spell it F-E-I-B-E-R instead of F-I-B-E-R. And Siri got that long wrong for the for the longest time. So what I would do is if you go into your contacts and you have a contact who has maybe an odd spelling last name, um, if you go into contacts and you edit your contact field, you can um, create a um, pronunciation guide to that contact and it will uh, and you can you know spell out how it's supposed to sound and and Siri will will better understand that. Also, it's nicknames. If you put in a nickname, it will recognize that as well. And you really should. You should do the work that you need to tell Siri who your relationships are. Um, you know, and, and she can understand a lot more. I mean, she'll understand that I've told her that this person is my assistant, this person is my mother, this person is my father, this person is my brother. But you can you can also tell her context and places. I work at this place, and she'll know that that's your work. Um, this is my gym, and she'll I've I've had her you know I've told her to tell me things when I leave the gym. And where's my gem? Well, this is my gem. Um, so you can you can tell her a lot of things, and taking the time up front to set those connections, it's pretty will, nice. Will make a world of difference. It's pretty nice. Or just say, you know, um, call Elisa when I leave here, and it sets up a reminder to do that. I it's love the, Siri. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's the exact syntax. Now that I think about it, but anyway, it's it's really pretty amazing, and. And that is an automation tool. Hopefully next month when we get to WWDC, it becomes an even better automation tool. Yeah, I hope so. Another one that uh, this is really far down. I mean, you, you really not only need a propeller beanie to use this, but it has to have batteries in it and, and actually have the ability to lift you off the earth. It's called Pythonista. And it's a Python uh, scripting platform for the iPad and iPhone. And if you can write in Python, you can you can actually create glue to make apps do things together. It's almost the closest thing you come to doing Apple Script on the the iPad and the iPhone. Um, Feder, uh, Federico Vitici uh, over at Mac Stories has written some great stuff on this, and we actually have him planning to do a workflow show with us at some point here in the next few months, and we'll talk to him about it more. I didn't really want to talk about it too much on this show because you really need to understand Python to do it. And I'm not sure how many people want to learn a programming language just to get a little faster on iOS. And if you already do know Python, 
there's nothing I could say that would help you uh, because you know more than I do about Python at least. So, but it's out there. So check out Pythonista if you're interested. If you're interested in learning Python, it's probably not a bad place to do it as well because it has a whole bunch of learning resources built into the app. Okay. You're not going to say anything about that. I'm not going to say anything about that. That's all I got to say about that. Yeah, okay. There's some great stuff out there. People are definitely finding the the little toeholds that exist for creating automation for uh, iOS, and that pleases me. Be careful when you get into this stuff that you don't spend so much time trying to automate iOS that you don't get anything done. An example would be spending two weeks to learn Python to do something that you you're only going to do once or twice. I think that's a total worthwhile use of your time. Well, it depends. Maybe it is because you're going to find a whole bunch of other things to do with it. But uh, at the same time, just be careful. I mean, one of the nice things about iOS is is that it is a really clean and easy to use interface, but it, it doesn't give you the, the types of automation stuff that we love on our Macs. I'm not sure where I was going with that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it, But drafts, you know... Launch Center Pro, none of this stuff I thought would have worked a year or two ago. It's amazing. It's amazing what the developers have done and, and how much we can do. And they're really smart. Yeah. They are, and they make our lives easier. Thank you, developers. I mean, that's, I think that's the biggest benefit of the Apple platforms in general, both the Mac and iOS. It, I mean, it's great that Apple makes all this great shiny stuff. But it's these little developers, you know, and frankly, a lot of them are sponsors of our show or people we know, like, you know, the, um, you know, the people at OmniFocus and the people at Agile Tortoise, like Greg Pierce, who made drafts, you know, it's just a small group of people or in some cases, just one guy uh, making stuff that's really wonderful. I just never experienced apps built with that much love on any other platform. I'm waxing poetic, Katie. You are. Well, let's talk about something else that makes our life easier. That would be my scan snap. <laughs> I love my scan snap. So Fujitsu is our last sponsor today. They make the excellent scan snap scanners. I went and spoke to the National Association of Bankruptcy Attorneys and um and I gave a nice talk about going paperless. And at one point I said, then the other thing you need to do is have a good way of capturing the, the physical paper that comes across your desk. And some guy in the back of the room just yells out, top of his lungs, scan snap. That guy's <laughs> was, paying attention. I was thinking that's got to be a Mac power user serial. I talked to him afterwards and he's not, but he has a scan snap and he is a believer. And I, I've never met someone who bought one who isn't. Um, and you and I hear they get emails from listeners all the time who talk about how it's changed their life. So Fujitsu did a really amazing thing when they decided to get in the scanner business. They did it right. They didn't try and cut corners. They made hardware that does an amazing job at capturing paper documents and turning them into digital bits for you. And the ScanSnap line has got, got three you know main devices. The first one is the iX500. That's the desktop one, the most recent new edition. It's got all the bells and whistles you could ever need. It, it cranks through paper. It can hold 50 pages. It'll scan through them. It's duplex, which means it'll scan the front and the back at the same time. I think it's something like 25 pages a minute, but don't quote me on that. But the thing is just wicked fast. It's got a little sonar ping in it to make sure it doesn't get two pages at once. And it can even scan directly to your iPhone and your iPad. There's just, it's just nothing 
but love for this device. And we've had several listeners buy them and tell us how much they love them. Then they've also got the S the S1300i, which is the, the more portable version, but it does have a sheet feeder. It can get you 10 pages uh, through the sheet feeder. And then they've got the 1100, which is the real portable one. It doesn't have a sheet feeder, but man, you can take this thing with you anywhere. And uh, Fujitsu, every one of these is very good, and every one of them supports the Mac. So in addition to having the great hardware, it's got the great software. You can do the OCR right on board. You can set up custom templates so you can say this is a picture so use the picture template and it'll scan it slower and have more detail and it'll just scan one side instead of the front and the back and then you can say this is a document and it's not that important so it'll scan it at 300 dpi and just get it through wicked fast and keep it really small Uh, no matter what your needs are it's got you covered and it just opens the door for you uh, to use all those those uh, digitized documents and and get a true paperless storage system. Uh, love everything I do. I've been buying their devices for years. Um, I was looking around my office the other day, and we have bought scan snaps for every person in our law firm, and everybody has one on their desk, and they all love them. You're getting your mom started on it now too, right? Yeah, I am, and she she loves it. But just a quick note about that little S1100. I've been carrying mine around with me more often because I've been I've been busy with some stuff that I've been doing at work. And if you if you pick up an S1100 from Fujitsu right now, they've got an offer where you can get a free carrying case. Now, I didn't get a free carrying case with mine because they didn't have that special bonus going around. But they've got this awesome little carrying case. I saw it the other day on Amazon, so I picked it up. And I love the 1100 and you can take it with you everywhere, but I was kind of worried about throwing it around in my backpack, although it's never really been a problem before. I've been doing it for years. Um, So I picked up this little case and it's this nice little case that you can throw the 1100 in and it's got space for the cord and all. And now, I mean, I'm just tossing that thing in everywhere because I'm not worried about, you know, can I take it? Can I throw it at the bottom? Is it going to jingle around with my umbrella at the bottom of my briefcase or something? Like if you're in sales, you could keep that in your bag and if the client signs a contract, let's say they've got a paper contract, you just scan it in right there, send it off to shipping, get the order filled before yep. you leave the office. Mine mine pretty much lives in the bottom of my briefcase. Yeah. So anyway, just Great my stuff. little plug. They've got one to fit you, no matter what your needs are. If you want to learn more, go to www.easy.com slash SSMPU. That's SSMPU for ScanSnap Mac Power Users. Um, let them know you heard about them from us and enjoy your new scanner. You're going to love it. Feedback, Katie. Oh, we, we've we been behind on our feedback, but you know, our show has been going an hour and a half already. How did that happen? We said this was going to be a short show. I started talking about drafts is what happened. Oh, okay. I'm pretty sure I spent like a half hour on drafts. I don't want to go back and look right now, but I'm sure... I I went probably too long on that, but it's just such a great app. Did I tell you about drafts? You want me to tell you about it right now? No, I I think we're good. I think we're good. (laughs) We got it. (laughs) Tell me if you get into drafts and you do something fun with it, let me know too, because I I think there needs to be somewhere a a collection of drafts tips. I guess the the in-app link is probably as good as it's going to get, but I know there's some great stuff our listeners could come up with. Yeah. All right, I know I know we've been running long and David and I never thought we'd go this long on an iOS automation show, but here we are nevertheless. But I do want to kick out a little bit of feedback because we we've, we've got some great feedback that's been 
kicking around here for a while. And I want to start about talking about Alfred, because in the Alfred show, we talked about a couple of different ways to get Alfred. One was in the Mac App Store, although that was version one, and I didn't really recommend it. You could pick up the free version of Alfred 2 from their website, and then you could upgrade that to add to the Power Pack. Um, but we had a couple of people write in and point out that um, Alfred offers something called the Mega Supporter License, which is 30 pounds. And if you, my understanding is that it, if you um, can update all, all your machines, you get free lifetime updates with the Mega Supporter Pack. So you would have the same benefits as buying it on the Mac App Store. So that may be something to think about is the Mega Supporter Pack from Alfred, which comes with all those updates. We also heard from Neil about Alfred, and he said, hey, you know, when you're downloading these workflows, make sure you know who they're coming from and that they're safe. I mean, to a certain extent, you're turning over a bit of control of your machine. And that makes sense. I mean, I, I don't think I would download a workflow from somebody that was a complete stranger or something that I didn't understand what they were doing first. I the, We listed on that show a website that kind of compiles them. I think that's a, probably a pretty good place to start looking at these things. Right. I haven't really given it much thought, to tell you the truth. I, I didn't worry about it. I just went crazy like a Mac user and started downloading them. Yeah. So be careful because someone could conceivably create a workflow that, you know, runs a script that deletes everything in your user volume. I guess that's possible. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how far they can get in with well, that. Well, if they're just running an Apple script that you've downloaded. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. We we had a bunch of people comment about Evernote because we talked about Evernote extensively in the Merlin Man show. And every time we talk about Evernote, people like Kevin and others um, write in to remind you that you can sync your documents out of Evernote, David. You can export all the PDFs out of Evernote. But I think it's important to point out that I understand your concerns about getting your documents out of Evernote because although there is now an export all where you can export all your documents out of Evernote, one of the issues that I've even run into with Evernote is that, yes, you can export all of your file attachment and all your PDF documents out of Evernote as PDFs or in their normal format. Getting the actual Evernote text out of Evernote is possible, but it's not quite as easy and not quite as pretty. It's it's exported kind of as HTML. So if I, if I for example done a web clipping, you know, let's say I'm, I'm keeping all of my receipts for tax purposes. If I've, you know, use the print to print to print to Evernote, that's going to print it as a PDF and save the PDF as an attachment to Evernote. But if let's say I've used the Evernote web clipper, that's not attached as a PDF. That's actually an Evernote document. So when I go to export all those documents to my end of the year folder for my accountant, the PDFs are going to come out as PDFs, but those those Evernote things that are not true, you know, attachments are going to come out a little bit wonky. You can still get it out, but, you know. You know. I think that the hang-up I have is Yojimbo, because I used Yojimbo for many years. And I don't know if even Yojimbo is currently in development. Uh, but it basically, is. it's it a bare-bones product that, that predated Evernote. And it was kind of the same idea. It's this notebook where you can throw data. And it made a lot of sense to me back before I wanted to cloud sync this data because uh, it just, you know, once I've got multiple Macs and iOS devices, I'm not sure I'm a big Yojimbo fan anymore either. But one thing about Yojimbo was if I put a PDF in there and later I needed it on my desktop, I just drug it out of Yojimbo and set it on my desktop. And as I understand it, you can't, you still can't do that. With you Evernote. can't. And Evernote needs to get there. They really do. 
Well, and it may, I don't know if it's, is it, if it's possible because they've got to convert it to an HTML friendly format for it to work everywhere and, and satisfy all those problems I was just complaining about with Yojimbo. So maybe it's one of these things where you've got to kind of choose your poison. And they do have a way to export those PDFs. But, you know, until you can just drag it out, there's a little bit of me that's going to be resistant to that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's probably enough. We've already been, <laughs> we've already gone long enough today. But uh, it was a fun show, Katie. I'm glad we did it. Uh, I didn't know when I first started thinking about an iOS automation show if we had enough content. And, of course, you let me talk about drafts, and that was enough to just let me you know, run a whole oh, there hour. There you go. Well, you can yeah. find links to all of these things that we talked about in our show notes. You can find those at 5by5.tv slash MPU slash 136 for this episode or at MacPowerUsers.com. You know, I actually had a couple of people email me and say I didn't realize you had a MacPowerUsers.com website. Yeah, we do. It's called MacPowerUsers.com. Yeah. And not only do we, it's, it's actually in the midst of a big revamp. So I don't think it'll be live by the time this show comes out, but we're working on it. We're working on it. Yeah. So. We've also got Twitter accounts, uh, at MacPowerUsers for Katie. I'm for, sorry for yep. the show. Katie's at Katie Floyd. I'm at Max Sparky. And uh, keep those iTunes comments coming, everybody. We love them. Yeah. And uh, we will be back next week with a very special workflow show with somebody famous. That's all I'm going to say. Is that yeah. a good enough teaser? It's going to be fun, though. Yeah, somebody famous who's also kind of geeky. So we've, we're scratching all those itches. And it's not that one that you think it is. No, it's not. See you next week. Yeah.